the show called Let's Talk Homeschool. I'm Davis, and I'm with Rachel. We are your hosts. As you know, this is the show where we talk about everything homeschooling, the how, what, when, where, and why. We want to affirm and encourage you in the decision to homeschool, challenge and inspire you to take it to new heights, and celebrate everything you get to experience in this adventure of a lifetime. Welcome to episode number 46. Today's show is titled Radically Intentional Parenting, part five of 12, and this is the second part of part five. Kids, kids, and more kids. So in part one of Kids, Kids, and More Kids, Rachel and I gave our testimony of how we went from just having one son, and which meant three oldest were in the family. Rachel's the oldest, I'm the oldest, and our firstborn son was obviously the oldest. We added the second kid, two sons were done, but then God starts moving in our heart and my heart, and we get over the fear. God gives us peace to have that third turns out to be a daughter. And then he's continuing to work on our heart, and we're now starting to homeschool and meet some families with larger uh, number of kids, and we're getting more and more comfortable with this idea of having a full quiver. Kids, kids, and more kids. What are we thinking? So what we want to share with you in this second part of the show is uh, not our story, but some things to consider. So in the introduction to uh, episode 45, I talked about as Christians, you're probably pro-life. But then I asked, are you really pro-life if you only have one or two kids, or are you just anti-abortion? So that's something to just think about. Sit down and ask yourself that question. If, if one is truly pro-life, wouldn't you want as much of that as possible? And Rachel, you got a real good analogy about um, from Psalm 127, where um, God, uh, the scripture says, children are a blessing from God. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So what is an analogy that uh, you think is also appropriate and helpful for us to consider sometimes? Well, I have to say at the outset, this is not original to me. Someone else actually said this to me and I adopted it. And I just want to make sure that if the person who originally said this to me is out there, I apologize for not knowing who you are. Please contact me and let me know so I can give you your due credit. But I remember this particular individual when I was drilling her, she was a mother of many and I was just on the edge of jumping into the the deep end of the pool and having more kids. And I just said, help me understand. I mean, this is just, this is a big, this would be a big change. And she said, well, it's just when I read my Bible, I see God equating children as a blessing. A reward. But then when I look at our culture, we equate money with a blessing. So I think about it this way. What if you had a bank account? And God wanted to bless you by making $100,000 deposits in periodically in your bank account. Would you ever shut your bank account? No, you'd have to be crazy. If God wanted to continually, periodically though, maybe unpredictably, right, put $100,000 into your bank account, put $10,000 into your bank account, put 1000 If you had a bank account that God himself wanted to make, frequent deposits into, would you ever close it? Right. And right. the obvious answer is no, you would keep it open. And this person said, that's how I see our families 
that God wants to bless us. He wants to periodically, in his timing, send us a new person made in his image for us to raise to give him glory. Why would we stop? Why would we turn off? Why would we close the account and say, no, 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 God, we've got enough blessing? Why would we do that? And you know, that really got me to thinking. That was a real game changer for me. I had not, I had not thought about it that way at all. And so when you think about children, literally, and you know, Psalm 139 talks about this, that children, that God weaves children together in a mother's womb. One of my most favorite things, if you remember, when I was pregnant was feeling the baby moving. That's wonderful. And a mindfulness that the hand of God is weaving together a new person. That's just glorious. And it, it, it really isn't about whether or not you actually carry and birth these children or you adopt these children. The fact that you're open, that your mentality, your your perception of children is one of blessing and not burden. Well, and that's the value we place on money versus kids. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, having more than 1.7 kids, right? having more than three these days is a value statement. Um, I mean, the stats show that mm-hmm. there is a dramatic decline right now in the age that people are getting married mm-hmm. and a significant decline in the number of children per family. Mm-hmm. And it's typically because people are afraid. Why would we bring a child into a world with so much evil and badness and fears that are, quite frankly, about as irrational as the ones I had for having a a third child or for having a girl. But you know, there's a time in history that we can point to as an example of this. Okay, so let's rewind the Bible story back to the second book of the Old Testament, Exodus. You have got a group of God's people who end up in the land of Goshen in Egypt under Egyptian rule, started as 72, but grow to a group of people that is large enough that it actually intimidates Pharaoh. Right. And they're slaves. They're, well, he enslaves them right. because he's intimidated by them. They've not done anything, quote, wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And they find themselves such a mass of people that the Pharaoh, who didn't know Joseph, go back and read the story, he didn't know Joseph, he is so intimidated by them that he enslaves them to try to keep them down. What's glorious about this story is what is God doing? If there was ever a point in history, stay with me, where a mother would think to herself, why would I want to give birth to a child into slavery? Exactly. Right? Why would I want to? I, I have rinsed my husband's back after he's been beaten by the slave master. I have watched my other two children. This is Jochebed. I have watched Miriam and Aaron. Aaron. Yep. They're growing up to be slaves under Pharaoh and now I've discovered I'm pregnant? I mean, that had to be a time in history when mothers would have said, no, 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 I don't want any part of it. And yet, children were God's blessing. And God was blessing them yes. with children during a time that you would think you couldn't have. Now, one On the, purpose. One of the key differences, which brings us to modern day 2020, right. and really 1960 or 70, is prior to the 1960s and 70s, there wasn't birth control in the sense that we have it today, where you just take a pill. You had to have self-control to have birth control, even as a married couple prior to that. So without going into a lot of that history, 
birth control was a significant change, not just in the secular right. world on number of children, but in the Christian circles. Mm-hmm. Christians think we, you can control the birth as much as anybody else. And yet, in theory, we believe that God is sovereign and in control. And that's part of the issue here is surrendering Everything, Everything to God, right. even the things that we think we can control or think or, or imagine that we do have control over, or we should control, right? Right. And so, yeah, no, I think that that's a real issue too. And 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 total disclosure, it didn't occur to you and I Not when we got married yeah. to let God plan our family. It didn't. I I took the pill we when do. we were first married. We participated yeah. in that having grown up, both of us, in Christian homes, exactly. it didn't occur to us that that was part of a biblical surrender to God to do that. And so I, I think Christians, at the very least, need to revisit this subject and think, what would God have us do? And yes. I know a lot of people, when I've we've talked about this, when I, a lot of people feel like, good grief, we'll have 28 kids. That's rare. It's really, really rare for people to do that. I've known people who've never participated in birth control and have three children. So it's not like everybody's going to have 28. It's not that. But I think if we want, you know, it's, it's easy for us to pray even something as simple as the Lord's prayer, right? Your will be done on earth as, 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 as it is in heaven. And we want to participate in God's will the comfortable parts that we can control, we can navigate, we can understand, we can forecast, we can plan for. Children don't fit any of that. No, and and that's that's why the title of this whole series. This is a radical concept, even in Christian circles, unfortunately. But as Christians, we're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. We're called to live counterculture. And let's face it, folks, there's probably nothing more counterculture than having more and more children. Oh, it's totally a statement. I mean, I remember when, I mean, I've been, I've had some really tacky comments as you remember over the years, just having, you know, okay, can't be all yours. How many of these are your neighbor's kids? Surely you're smarter than that. I mean, all kinds of tacky things, but I'm here to tell you, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful and it hasn't been perfect and it hasn't been easy. So one comment I'd like to just throw in here real quick and then we'll share some uh, unexpected blessings of having a large family is it's not a contest. Right, and right. And my other motto was one at a time. Rachel wanted to have twins. But just remember, <laughs> even as, as uh, excited as we are to share with you and to pray that God would change your heart like he changed ours to have more kids... And to surrender that to God, it, it's not a contest. It's not a contest. So, we, you know, we have friends that have more. We have friends that have less. We have friends that have, have really suffered with infertility, um, secondary infertility. People who have opened their arms and their hearts to foster parenting and adopting. There's a variety of different ways. It's really more a fundamental mindset and worldview. How do you view children? Exactly. As a blessing or as a burden? Exactly. So one of the things when you're younger and you're starting to have kids is is you think you know a lot. What we've discovered is there are so many things we had no clue would be blessings by virtue of having a larger than normal family. So here's just a few. Your kids have built-in playmates. We truly believe one of the best gifts you can give any of your kids is another sibling. Mm -hmm. I mean, it 
calms them down, as we shared in our testimony. It gives them somebody to play with. It's built-in friends. Uh, our sons, our two oldest sons are both married. They were each the best man in the other person's wedding because they are best friends. They've right. grown up together in a close-knit family. Well, and I'm just going to say there's a little side point there, and we probably need to do an episode on this, and that is we prioritize those relationships. We did. And so I think that that is one of the keys of having really any kind of a God-honoring family is that you get the relationships in the family straight. First of all, it's each of your individual relationships with God. Secondly... It's the relationship between the husband and wife that that's good and healthy and strong and growing and flourishing. And then the relationship with the children to the parents, honor your father and mother for this is right. That's what that needs to be right there. And then because you've got the other three right, you really invest and prioritize those relationships among the siblings. It is so easy, especially today to outsource relationships to neighbors, school friends, playmates, church no, uh, friends. you got to get it right at home first. And a lot of folks do that because they don't have more than one or two kids. Fair so enough. again, that built-in playmate kind of thing. Right. So uh, oh, this is an interesting one. You even have built-in babysitting when your oldest turns 12 or oh, so. Yeah. When our oldest turned 12, you know what he wanted for his birthday? To babysit his brothers and sisters. Yeah. And so this was when cell phones were brand new. We, we only had our cell phone for a year or less. And he watched the kids. We went to a restaurant one mile away with our cell phone in hand. We probably only ate appetizers and quickly came right back home. <laughs> and yeah. everybody was alive and well right. and had a grand time. So, But then it obviously improved and grew from there. Right. I love... I love that he wanted to do that for us because that's an illustration of the relationships I was just talking about. He wanted to honor us by watching his siblings. And so, yeah, it was a beautiful thing. Now, our kids are older now. Our oldest is 30. Our youngest is 16. But, Rachel, tell our listeners this amazing, unexpected blessing of how our kids also have built-in counselors to help them navigate adult issues. Oh, yeah. So this is glorious, and I didn't see this coming. I mean, we should have been able to see it coming because they were kind to each other at home, even amidst the sibling rivalry that it's no stranger to our home like anybody else's home. But what's glorious now is so we have, we would have five out of the house, but thank you, COVID. We do have an adult daughter who's graduated from college who's actually living with us while she works remotely, just because of the nature of the circumstance right now. But with all of the ones that we have out of the house, we have our oldest is, they're in five different states, four different states. And so they're really spread out. And then here we are at home. I love how they call each other when something in life happens. They call each other to celebrate things. They call each other for input on things. Our three daughters are single. And so in their desire to be wives and mothers they're trying to navigate that whole scene which is proving to be far more complicated and difficult than I'd hoped but I love that they have their brothers to call and they're calling their brothers and asking their brothers advice we have one of our daughters who's studying for the GRE and one of her other one of her brothers took the GRE so they've been talking about strategies to do that one of our sons is an artist one of our sons still at home is an artist so they have a weekly conference that they're going over. It's just great that those relationships that we prioritized when they were all here have grown and flourished to the point that they're still burning up the phone lines and the texting 
to keep in touch with each other, challenge each other, encourage each other, cry with each other, laugh with each other. And I'm going to say this too. I think because of those relationships amongst each other that they have, it really makes them great friends. Yes, it does. To people outside the family. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful thing too. And I didn't expect that. So uh, one uh, last area that I'd like to touch on before we close this show is the fact, and I say fact on purpose, that only having zero or one kid in particular by by design, by choice, is not good demographically for countries. Mm-hmm. When the average ch- number of children is less than two, the population does not replace itself. And if you look at Europe, Japan, Russia, and China's one-child policy, those have all been devastating to their economies, mm-hmm. to their cultures, to their way of life. There are whole cultures uh, for instance, the Italian culture could disappear in our lifetime mm-hmm. because they haven't had enough kids. And when there's not enough kids being born in a generation, 20 years later, you don't just suddenly replace all that. It has to happen year after year after year. And so I just get, I get tired when people say the problem with the world is overpopulation. No, the problem with the world is not enough kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want a better economy, you need more consumers, you need more people designing, building, and buying. And that's why Japan's economy is so down, because they don't have enough people in their country. And even above and beyond that, and you would surely agree with this, Davis, that is a true demographic economic reality. But above that, as believers, if we truly believe that each child is an image bearer of God... He has invited us to participate in what he's doing in spreading the reality of who he is among the people of the world by having more children, by giving birth to image bearers and raising them to honor and glorify him in word and deed. That's the opportunity here. And look, I get it. We've got friends, good friends right now who have eight under nine. Well, no, eight under 10. Eight under 10. And you know what? It's hard. It's really hard, but baby, no regrets. Exactly. No regrets. I was just mentioning to someone yesterday how I was on Facebook yesterday trying to meet some moms where they were in the middle of this new homeschool Russian revolution. And this one mom was like, I'm just so exhausted and I'm so tired. And I was just typing to her going, look, I get it. Lean in, enjoy, dare to laugh. They're not going to be here forever. Enjoy because most of mine are gone now and I literally miss all the crazy chaos. I miss cuddling on the sofa. I miss bringing a new one home. I miss that. And you've got a window. It's not a forever proposition. It's a window of time. And here's one of the other things related to that that I'll say is Rachel and I are probably not going to have your traditional empty nest. Quite frankly, I'm glad about that. We're we're in our our fifties, and there are peers of ours that were when they were in their upper forties and fifties, have been empty nesters for a decade. Life's kind of boring mm-hmm. with that. We are we are have grandkids right now, but we are still trying to finish well with our uh, high school sons, and it, it's just like a continuous weave of mm-hmm. life that is. Very exhilarating, mm-hmm. very exciting, and like 
anything like homeschooling or having more kids, it will test your faith. It will. Which means it will grow your faith if you lean into God, if you trust in Him, if you just say, okay, God, I got to let go of the controls Mm -hmm. that I somehow think I actually have a firm grip on when ultimately it's you and it's life's more exciting and more um, exhilarating and in many ways more satisfying when you let go of the controls and walk by faith. God has taught us so much and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for all these different people that I get to know and all that they've taught me about God, all that God has so patiently taught me about myself and grown me through. I'm very, very, very grateful. So if uh, we'd be glad to answer any questions you may have on this topic, you can send us an email at podcast at apologia.com. Thank you for listening. We love talking about this kind of stuff. We'll hope you join us next time. This is Let's Talk Homeschool, and we are your hosts, Davis and Rachel Carmen. We want to thank our sponsor, Apologia Educational Ministries. Their mission is to help homeschooling families learn, live, and defend their Christian faith. They are the number one publisher of creation-based science, Bible and worldview curriculum, and online instruction, with over 110 number one awards. Now, that's impressive, but more importantly, that's why Apologia is trusted by homeschooling families all across the USA and the world. Go to Apologia.com, a great place to explore creation. Okay, folks, have a great day, and until next time, we are walking by faith and enjoying the homeschooling adventure.